Welcome to everyone joining the stream today. I'm Lucy Neal. I'm the Marketing Manager and Head of Thought Leadership in DEI at Trinovo Group. And I am an advocate for equality and amplifying the voices of people. So today I'm excited to host a Broadgate Social Pride Month Q&A special, exploring the importance of pride alongside shifting attitudes, representation and culture. As well, we'll be kind of looking ahead to the future of diversity and leadership. Um, so feel free to ask any questions in the chat function during the stream and we'll do our best to come back to you during the discussion. So today I'm joined with the fabulous Ange. Um, Ange, I'd love to, you know, hear more from you, if you could introduce yourself, your role and perhaps your favorite thing about Pride. Absolutely. So, hey everyone, my name is Ange. I'm with a company called Riverfront IT. I'm currently a security lead there. I come from incident response and digital forensics. Um, and after spending about four years there, I just I knew in my heart of hearts that it was time to help people proactively stop cyber incidents before they happened. I think my favorite thing about Pride um, is just watching, really watching the evolution of it. We'll, we can go into a coming out story at some point, but just quickly, I, I you know, told my mom I was gay for the first time when I was 11, which was like well over 20 years ago. And so I've gotten to watch the queer community take this beautiful evolution and receive rights and, and, you know, just kind of, it's been a beautiful thing to watch. Fabulous. Thanks, Anne, for sharing. And yeah, I wanted to kind of start on a question that comes up when we talk about pride, particularly among thought leaders and members of the LGBTQI plus community. And we've kind of covered it slightly before, but what does pride mean to you and why is it so important? I've spent a lot of time researching the history of pride and researching the history of the gay rights movements, actually not just here in the United States, but in the UK, which is also a fascinating um, historical, you know, kind of uh, uh, experience that, that queer people went throughout there. Um, I think pride for me is really, it, it's kind of keeping the push and keeping the community active to recognize that we're not finished yet. Um, yes, I love to go out and get a cocktail and hang out with all of my friends and, you know, kind of get together and do that, that fun pride stuff and go to the parades. But really, I think it's really to keep mindful that we're not finished. Um, and especially like you're seeing here in Texas, I'm in out of Austin, Texas, you know, we're seeing kind of this continuous slip slide of those rights for, you know, kind of pieces of our community. And so that's for me, that's really why, why I do pride. I think, you know, in recent times, like the Disney walkout, we've seen the Netflix walkout in recent years, there is still things happening, there's stuff happening in society, in the workplace. So I think it is important to keep moving forward. So it would be really interesting to learn more about your experiences when coming out. Sure. So um, like I was saying, I told my mom that I was gay for the first time I had a word for it. Um, you know, I came home and I'm like, mom, you know, I'm, I'm gay. I think I'm a lesbian. And she's like, don't, don't, you don't know that. Don't tell the family, you know, basically. Um, at 15, I, I reiterated it. And um, we had a struggle. We had kind of a back and forth. And I talked her into going to PFLAG with, with me, which is parents and friends of lesbians and gays or parents and family of lesbians and gays. And I think it was watching her consume the stories of people around her that her kind of evolution came about. And now my mom's, you know, basically mom to all of my friends that whose parents have disowned them or, you know, kind of done that. And so I've had these marked 
pieces um, where the, the coming out story has kind of led me to here, which is now, you know, I'm, I'm in the cybersecurity community. And I think we, we just don't talk about it a lot in the cybersecurity community. There's a lot of us here. Um, and, and so it's, you know, I think this next iteration of my coming out is how do I get in front of the community and show young queer people that you can be successful. Um, and so we talk about coming out in stages, right? And you can come out multiple times. My recent, my current iteration is, hey, come join cyber. You can be here. I'm here. Um, so I hope that kind of completely tells the story there. Yes. And, and what progress have you seen in inclusivity and acceptance of embracing your authentic self? Oh, wow. So I have a personal embracing of my authentic self. And then, of course, there's been this outer uh, embracing that has happened. So personally, you know, I, I knew that I was um, on the masculine side and I do identify as she, her. So I'm, you know, this traditional butch woman, right? Um, so I had to kind of come to journey to come to my journey to a certain point where I was only dressing in men's clothing and cutting my hair and, and things like that. But then watching people around me um, has been very interesting as well. And I think in the workplace, it's been the most kind of curious because we went from a lot of the companies not wanting to say the word gay, almost like the U.S. military, right? To now we have kind of this every month, you know, Pride Month. We've got people changing their logos to rainbows and um, having active, like you all, having active DNI programs to really make sure that they're inclusive of all types of people. So that's been the progression that I've seen there. It's been really great in many ways. Um, and, you know, like, I, like I've said a couple of times, there's still some space to grow. Yeah, I think we do see a lot of rainbow washing, you know, and then tokenism and things like that. And how do you think businesses can avoid rainbow washing and ensure they are advocates for the LGBT community. I know we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but it'd be really interesting to hear your thoughts. I think it's a straight to the entry point. You've got to ensure that job descriptions are devoid of biases, and then you've got to back it up with your interview process. Um, we're going through uh, overhauling at Riverfront. We're going through overhauling our interview process to just remove as much of the opportunities for bias as as humanly possible. Um, and, and so it's that, it's hiring. Um, and and I, it doesn't miss me that I'm, of course, talking to, you know, someone who's doing it recruiting and kind of, you know, in that space, but it's very true. You've got to make sure that at that junction, you're bringing diverse people in, you're bringing queer people in. Um, because if you have a rainbow on your logo, but you don't have a kind of benefits or a support system, a way to hire queer people in, you know, that's, that is inherently what uh, rainbow washing, right? Precisely. Yeah. And I think even like, as you mentioned, like the job description terminology is super, super crucial, your language, ensuring that you have gender neutral language is just so fundamental, I think, um, in the recruitment landscape. And then moving on again, I guess, into your experiences of tokenism, kind of what are you able to share any experiences of tokenism in the workplace? I've worked for small companies and, and large companies. Tokenism in the workplace for me, I haven't seen a ton of it, um, but I am definitely aware that, you know, there's a mindset that if, well, we have one queer person, we're accepting. 
And of course, that's like saying I have a friend that is X, Y, Z. So therefore, I'm not racist or I'm not, you know, bigoted or whatever. Right. Um, And so for me, just I've seen other people experience tokenism in their company is supportive, but there's only one queer person or there's only one person uh, of color or or something like that. And, And that's something we want to stay away from. Right. Agreed. Agreed. The thing that I can speak to there, Lucy, is that I've been the solo queer person at a lot of places that I've worked. Um, and the reason that you want to very much avoid tokenism and the story there is that when you've only got one of a certain type of person, it can be very alienating, especially when the rest of the uh, group is very similar, right? We see that in tech all the time. Um, you know, tech is largely male dominated and very much white uh, in many places. And so if you're the only person of color, or you're the only queer person, you know, it, it doesn't lend to, um, it doesn't lend to retaining, you know, those, those pieces of talent. Yeah. And I think we've mentioned, obviously, the Disney walkouts, the don't say gay bill, the US law and things like that. Um, you've got drag queens being banned. You know, I think pride's an important time to acknowledge that we have made progress, but also that there is more work to be done, as we've mentioned. How do you find these setbacks and, you know, how do you deal with them and how do you think we can create positive change when there is perhaps some negative? Look at the history of it. In the 80s, uh, as the AIDS crisis was ongoing, you know, there were very many queer people that were so severely kept in the shadows and kept themselves in the shadows that it was a scary time for gay rights, not just were loved ones dying, you know, around us, but um, it was very much, I know that there was a feeling of we're never going to get there cut to, you know, a couple of years ago, we've received rights across the United States to have the allowance to get married. There is an over arc of progression. So you've got to look at the historical context and just know that the kind of the pendulum of what is right and what is fair, it does swing upwards for us, right? Personally, for me, the setbacks are just a a continued urgency to vote, a continued urgency to get active in the community, to do things like this, right? I took it from a young age that if I wasn't being honest with myself and being my true self around people that were a little bit more uh, reserved on, on who queer people were, then they were never going to meet a queer person. Right. And so we do, we do just need to keep, you know, keep up that pace. Right. So just know that, you know, the bad things that are happening in the queer community, they are fixable. They're non-permanent. Um, and they will swing towards what's right eventually. You know, we are becoming a more ethical society. It doesn't feel like it some days. There's the setbacks are very frustrating, um, but it is, you know, again, this reason to find your community, talk about those things together, grassroots get, you know, involved and, and just sort of make sure that your voice is heard. Um, moving on to language, I know we've kind of touched on kind of using gender neutral terminologies and job specs and things like that. But how and why do you think normalizing pronouns is important for the future of diversity, equity and inclusion? Absolutely. So um, I was mindful to, you know, offer up my pronouns up front because, um, I, you know, I, I want people to know, of course, that I'm here to respect 
the pronouns of choice. For me, it's I want people to respect my pronouns and understand that I identify as a woman. There's kind of this funny thing that has happened in the community. 10 years ago, you know, to upset me, someone would call me sir, right? And now if I were to identify as a, as a man, people wouldn't want to do that. They wouldn't want to, you know, they'd be upset, right? And so for a long time, you know, the, the population that has you know, had issues with the queer community and with those that identify, you know, uh, as, as different genders, trans, intersex, things like that, those pronouns have been used to hurt. And so when we are accepting that people have different pronouns and we're proactive in using those and proactive in using the right language, we get to show that we are fair and respectful, that we're allies. And so, you know, I I know it seems like something small, but for someone like me who um, has, you know, had these moments of, of, you know, frustration with being misgendered, it's really something that affects, you know, kind of that identity or that sense of, of being a female, right? So it kind of swings, it kind of swings both ways. It's, you know, you've got to make sure that you're just being respectful of the human in front of you. Um, and then removing bias in terms of language out of job descriptions and, and, and making realistic job descriptions and even catering those, those uh, descriptions to understanding how your diverse groups are going to see them. Um, that really, really ensures that not just the queer community, but any um, minority community is being brought into the workplace um, and is getting their opportunity to put on their boots and, you know, and get their kind of lives taken care of. Amazing. Thanks, Ange. And moving on to the, like, the last question, so looking at the future for the LGBTQI plus community, what are your hopes for the future and looking ahead? Oh, man, it's such, such big hopes. Um, and I, I know that we can get there. So being within this community, there's a, um, a term that's used sometimes called the gay delay. Um, and, and that's essentially when a, a young queer person has a delay. And I experienced myself, um, you know, it, it took me 10 years to get my, my college degree just um, because of some of the adversity that I was coming across and, you know, money and things like that. It, my hope is that the future is that we keep pushing equality and that our younger queer people get the opportunity to come into the space, into the workplace, um, and, and they get an opportunity to really kind of take control of their lives from a younger age. That's one. Of course, I'm hoping that the rhetoric chills out for a, back, a lack of better words. Just yesterday, there's a I don't even know why this needed to make it to the news, but there was a, there's a pastor here in Texas who made a comment that he thought all gay people should be shot in the back of the head. We need to find ways to, to find a common ground and, and keep moving things forward. I think we're not going to change the opinions of some people. And so, you know, getting together and voting as a block or voting as a community to ensure not just that our rights are taken care of, but that um, the rights of people of color, um, you know, anyone that, that's experiencing any other kind of minority community, like we just need to kind of form together as a group and move out some of this garbage that we are made to look at and see. Um, so that's, that's a second hope. And then, Truly, I think my third hope is that really that we don't just reduce some of that 
verbiage and reduce some of that um, kind of bad language as it was, but that people actually start to see that, you know, this is something that has been going on for a long time. You know, there's examples of queer people in ancient Greece and, you know, this is not a 21st century sexuality. This is not new, right? There's native cultures that have had a third gender for forever. Um, And so, you know, we've in the, in the United States, they've started a, a kind of a, a path of reducing education in schools, but I would almost see it run the other direction and um, actually have, you know, kind of the history of humanity presented factually. Um, so again, we got to vote together. We got to move together as one. We got to use pride to kind of push this community forward um, and not just this community. That's something that, you know, in the UK, we know that the, the queer community was really supportive of minor rights. What was that back in the 80s, I believe, 70s and 80s, they, they really were there for the minors to ensure that they had support as they were going through a strike. And so we need to, to keep doing that with other communities um, and, and forming those partnerships. Mm-hmm. That was a long answer, but <laughs> my true hope is that we just keep moving forward. Thank you so much. And thank you for such an honest and raw conversation, Ange. It's been lovely chatting with you and for joining us and sharing your experiences and insight. If anyone wants to watch any of our other content, our podcasts, anything like that, that's on our Spotify channels. You can find out more on our website as well. Um, Broadgate Social is part of Broadgate Search. You can find out more on our website on www.broadgatesearch.com. Have a lovely day. Enjoy Pride. And we'll talk to you all soon. Happy Pride.